This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast with the SoLink Front of the House. This is Franchise Today, and it is Wednesday, May 22nd. I'm Stan Friedman, coming to you today from home base in the beautiful Buckhead neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. Speaking of beautiful, my thanks again to my good friend E.J. Mayers for inviting the show to podcast last week from the podcast studios at the beautiful Atlanta Tech Park in Peachtree Corners, another great suburb of Atlanta. Uh, It's in a neighborhood in Gwinnett County, just northeast of the city. The Atlanta Tech Park is a global innovation center designed to connect young companies with other companies around the world. And of course, my thanks to go to my incredible guests last week, Grant Simon and Greg Thomas, the empire building multi-unit successful partners of LSGF management and franchisees, multi-unit franchisees, I, I may add, of Smoothie King, T-Mobile Retail, and Gray Clips. Had the pleasure of having them with me in studio at the Tech Park to talk about their meteoric growth of up to more than 160 units owned and operated across those three brands. Two great guys and a wonderful interview and a great venue for all of it. So thank you one and all. Remember each week, each and every week, we hear from those representing different points on the franchising compass, but all the guests that you hear here on Franchise Today have one thing in common. They've all demonstrated the ability to put the word sustainable in front of growth and sensible in front of franchising. And they all come here to share their nuggets with you from their life's experiences and from their core competencies. And in just a few minutes, I'll be joined today by Terry Kelm, another success story in the franchising world, who's going to talk about an often overlooked or at least not as often talked about topic in franchising, one that needs more light of day. And that is to talk about franchise resales, which, you know, it's it's not true, but it's perceived sometimes to be maybe a negative or something that's not as positive as franchise development is when it starts out new with it, with a brand new unit. Well, we're going to dig into all of that today and talk about all of that at greater length, but I'm first going to kick off today's show with the front of the house, which does kick off today with something that reminds me of when Paul Segreto and I hosted this show together. Paul and I would typically once or twice a month stumble onto something that would cause us to scratch our heads, laugh out loud, and say to one another, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. Well, in this case, Paul, I wish you were here for it, but I'm going to have to report it out anyway, and I'm talking about Dunkin' Brands and something new that they're rolling out. If you love Dunkin', there's now a fashionable way to show off your favorite drinks. Yes. The Boston coffee chain has launched eight nail polish colors that are inspired by names of lattes and ice cream flavored drinks at Dunkin'. The limited edition collection includes the colors of Coco Mocha, Caramel Craze, Blueberry, uh, Dunkin's Butter Pecan, Pistachio Almond Fudge, and of course, Banana Split. Well, Paul, I wish you were here to to be laughing out loud with me and saying you you just can't make it up. I can't imagine there's possibly a Dunkin' nail polish collection without orange and pink Dunkin' and pretty Dunkin'. But you know what? 
I don't think about wearing my coffee. I think about drinking it. So maybe it's just me. I'm, I don't know, but uh, I'm just saying. Also, this week in the front of the house, I want to tell you about something I've already posted on the Franchise Today Facebook page, and that's about Vernon Davis, tight end for the Washington Redskins. Most everyone in this audience knows of my passion for working with professional athletes and helping them transition to franchising. Well, I can't take credit for this one, but it still gives me great pleasure to report it out. These days, Davis and Atlanta Falcon Mohamed Sanu are partnered up to bring and operate six Jamba Juice locations to the northern D.C., Virginia metro. This is in addition to the five that Davis already operates in Northern California. His franchise and career actually began six years ago during his playing days with the 49ers. Last year, Davis teamed up with Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Mohamed Sanu to bring more of the fresh fruit and vegetable goodness of Jamba to the Mid-Atlantic. Think of them, perhaps, as a couple of smooth smoothie operators. Davis, did I say that? Davis grew up in D.C. and played college ball at the University of Maryland before the 49ers drafted him in 2006. He racked up nine seasons with them before being traded to the Broncos, where he claimed the Super Bowl ring, and in 2016, he returned home to play for the Redskins. When you read this piece, which you can find on the Franchise Today Facebook page, all linked up. When you read this piece, you'll see clearly that this is not just an athlete's money getting into the franchise business, but rather that these guys are all in and extremely involved in their business day to day. I'm going to try to secure Vernon and Muhammad both, I hope, uh, for an episode upcoming of Franchise Today, so keep your ears glued for that. Another piece that jumped off the franchise news pages this past week deals with another great brand and corporate culture. I'm talking about CEO Don Fox and Firehouse Subs. In this piece, Fox offers insight into the company's strategy and what's ahead, highlighting the fact that the success of Firehouse Subs isn't dependent solely on customers liking the product. They also have to like Firehouse Subs, the company which has been operating for 25 years. For those of you who don't know their roots, brothers and former fighter, firefighters Robin and Chris Sorensen founded the company in Jacksonville, Florida back in 1994. It's grown to over 1,100 restaurants currently in 46 states, Canada and Puerto Rico, and today employs about 15,000 people. Don Fox joined the company in 03 when the chain was merely at 65 restaurants he says the catalyst for Firehouse Subs' growth was verbalizing the company's mission statement, quote, to carry on its commitment to and passion for hearty and flavorful food, heartfelt service, and public safety. When it comes to culture, Firehouse is definitely a company that walks the talk, and Don Fox, too, is on my radar for a future episode of Franchise Today, so stay tuned for that. And that, my friends, is the Soul Link front of the house, brought to you by Soul Link, a company that provides amazing loss prevention technology for restaurants and retail. In fact, I describe Soul Link as a company that does for loss prevention the equivalent of what Apple and Android have done for cell phones. They've made these tools smarter. Whether you operate a single unit or are a multi-unit empire builder, or the franchisor, or an executive of a retail or restaurant brand with unit-level economics on your plate, you need 
to learn more about Solink. Once deployed, Solink's technology captures instances of exceptional behavior at all of your sites. Solink then records everything that goes on in the front and the back of the house and utilizing its gold standard algorithms creates reports that direct your attention to the very specific video clips that it's captured so that you may view these events without rewinding and watching hours and hours of tape. And what's best is that Solink does all of its heavy lifting, utilizing your existing point of sale and security equipment. There is no new hardware needed to put Solink to work for you. As always, find out more about them at www.solink.com. That's S-O-L-I-N-K.com. And now for today's guest. Terry Kelm is the president of the Franchise Referral and Resale Division of Sunbelt Business Brokers, where his focus is on assisting franchisors with their growth and transition goals. Whether you're looking for new franchisees or wanting to provide a resource to a franchisee looking to sell or or for refranchising corporate units, Sunbelt is the only national business brokerage group that's prepared to assist in all facets. And this man is passionate about both. Terry. Welcome to Franchise Today. Stan, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me on today. Well, it's my honor to have you on. So how's that? Uh, we are each the president of the other Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> <laughs> guilty, guilty. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you here, Terry. This is a conversation that I think is is maligned. You know, it's it's kind of like people who hear about franchise companies in the, in the maid business and they go, ooh, I don't want to be a maid. Well, those companies aren't looking for people to be maids. They're looking for people to operate a maid business. And I think when we talk resales, the initial connotation is, mm, that's a negative. You know, somebody went out of business or something failed or th- that's the first perception. But I think that when we peel the onion back a little further, hopefully today's discussion and conversation will cause a paradigm shift for some in the audience to better understand how that's something that you can take and change from maybe lemon into lemonade. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. I think you're 100% accurate in that statement. And I, and I do think that, you know, the, the franchisors that have embraced um, the resales as an opportunity are, are benefiting, benefiting from that now and will continue to benefit that as, uh, you know, as the amount of resales will, uh, will increase over time. Well, Terry, let's talk more about that as we roll it out and and have a conversation today. But for those who listen regularly, everyone knows that these conversations pretty much start the same way each week with the affirmation that few in franchising got here by design. There are some that are born into second generation of franchise families, but most of us don't go out with intention getting into franchising. Franchising kind of finds us. So let's roll back the tape, if you will. And tell, take us to the time and the place where that happened for you. Oh, wow. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, I, I will join the masses and say that uh, franchising was not on my radar uh, when, I, uh, when I came to, to the position that I'm in. Uh, you know, my, my career started while I was still in college. I was recruited uh, to work for, a, a, of all things, a, a VHS video distributor. Wait a minute. Uh, back in- a what? Uh, a VHS tape video distributor, right? Uh, which, uh, yes, exactly right. There may be some I, uh, in our audience that don't know what that is. 
<laughs> well, if they were if they were born in 2000 or uh, or, or later, they probably don't. And uh, I, I, it's kind of weird because it's not often where you you have a, a front row seat to both the the infancy start of a of, a, of an industry, watch that industry grow to become. Uh, very much part of the of the fabric of mainstream America, and then also see the demise of that all within probably a twenty or thirty year uh, period. But that's exactly what happened to to VHS. Um, but uh, I was recruited out of college uh, to to work for a video distributor, and uh, did that for for you know for thirteen fourteen years. Kind of kind of saw the uh, the end of the uh, of things starting to unravel early, uh, and decided that uh, I wanted to have a little bit more control. I wanted to become my own boss, and so I went to the uh, the local Sunbelt office in my in my uh, market in Minneapolis St. Paul and. Uh, Talked to the the owner uh, Scott Everett, who uh, was actually someone who I met through the video days and worked with in the video industry, and then he started the Sunbell office here. And I told him I was just looking for an opportunity. Uh, I, I was ready ready to to have my own uh, you know my own business, uh, small business, and uh, he uh, he showed me a couple businesses. Some of them were franchises, and that's where I kind of you know looked at the the opportunity to become a franchisee. Uh, but then he also said to me, "Hey, I have something else a little bit uh, unique and out of the box that uh, that I'm just starting." Um, and he had been tabbed by Sunbelt uh, to spearhead a national franchise resales program for for Sunbelt business brokers on a national basis. And he said, "I'm looking for a guy uh, to to help me do this. Um, it would be a partnership." Um, and, uh, you know, I think you got a lot of the traits that would be good at this. And so, uh, you know, I, I went home that night after sitting down with him and, and started researching franchise and franchise industry and, uh, or franchise resales, which if you Googled that 16 years ago, you'd see there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of information on it. Uh, so it was very much, uh, an exciting, uh, but a little bit scary because I didn't know what I was getting into, but, uh, yeah, when I went there that day, franchise resales was not my vocabulary, and yet here I am, 16 years later, and I'm the president of our of our little division. So it's uh, it's been an exciting ride, but uh, certainly was uh, I was one of the unintentional uh, unintentional owners in the franchise industry. That's quite a story. So you not only got into franchising, but you got into business brokerage and franchising at the same time, and both of those more foreign to you. Is that right? If you're going to leap, Stan, you might as well leap with both feet, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did you go? It was, it was was all new to me. Uh, It was all new to me and I had a, I had a lot of learning to do and I'll be the first to admit I haven't learned at all. It's uh, it's, it's, I learned something new every day in this industry and, uh, uh, but it's been it's been a lot of fun, um, and I've really really enjoyed the franchise aspect of it. Uh, you know, just the the relationships, and obviously, you know, meeting you and uh, people like Jerry Darnell and things like that over the years have just been you know have really been the icing on the cake of why I love franchising. Were you IFA members then, or how did you go about getting yourself educated? I mean, your your um, your partner could clearly educate you on on Sunbelt and, and on the Sunbelt business brokerage side, I'm sure that you got some training from people that came before you, but. Yep. Uh, and yeah, so exactly. So I, I, you know, he was, he was good at uh, being able to teach me the, the Sunbelt aspect of the things and, uh, and Sunbelt, of course, being a franchise business themselves, they had some, some things that were very pertinent to me to, to learn from the franchising side, but no, I jumped into the IFA. Um, and we, uh, uh, I, I started here in, in, in June of 03 
And I was at my first IFA conference in January the following year. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, I just kept learning. And I, I was doing, I was doing the entire circuit for a while. Uh, you name it, uh, IFE, uh, regional, uh, regional IFA stuff. I mean, I, I just kind of, uh, immersed myself into, into the franchise world, uh, for a while, uh, just to, just to, because I felt I had to. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, and that's always a scary thing. So it's, Something that I really wanted to uh, to you know to be a part of and to understand, and that's what I did. So you said there weren't a lot of people then in the space that had any kinds of programs. So what were franchisors basically doing? And I'm thinking back to my early days. You know, in Blimpy, I didn't have a formal program, but resales were definitely a big part of my life. And actually, to the point I made in the introduction, even I back then viewed resale sometimes as the bane of my existence. You know, I'd have a prospective franchisee looking at a territory. He'd make some phone calls doing validation. And uh, somebody that he talked with, you know, six miles up the road was, well, why don't you talk to me about my store? Yep. And that's that was not an uncommon occurrence back in those days. So I suppose there is some merit in some of those paradigms that uh, executives may have about resales getting in the way instead of being a carefully planned or thought out part of the, of the structure. And we'll, we'll unpack that as we go along, but winding the clock back to those early 2002, I guess 2003 or four, what did you see on the landscape then globally? I gave you a single example of my experience, but what was, what was the landscape looking like? No, I think your I think your perception is is was reality uh, for the most part. I mean, obviously there was you know there were some franchisors that were much more uh, you know advanced and and had and had put together some really strong programs. But a, a lot of the franchisors that we spoke to in the glory in the you know the early days um, didn't have a formal program. And a lot of them didn't uh, didn't embrace it, um, as you said. Uh, I, I think uh, you know the the common the common thing uh, seemed to be that uh, the development guys were who became the de facto resale guys. In some cases, I you know I I remember specifically uh, a few you know um, development guys you know complaining to me that man every time I do a resale with with, with a lead I make less money uh, there's less commissions here for me mm-hmm. uh, so there was there was a disincentive from uh, from a standpoint of you know uh, how these guys uh, you know fed their families. Um, and I, I think there was uh, just a general malaise, if you will, of saying, you know, resales is it's a part of our it's a part of the franchise or lifestyle or life cycle. Um, but it really was something that wasn't embraced and wasn't uh, seen as an opportunity. It was more of a chore. Um, obviously, uh, over the last 16 years, things have evolved. And I know we'll talk about that. But uh, initially, it was there was a lot of. Uh, yeah, we don't have a formal resale program, and we really don't talk resales because it just wasn't something that they uh, that they wanted to entertain and embrace. They they were handling them as they came, uh, but that was that was it. It was uh, it was really more like I said, that's kind of a de facto program. So, how did you attack that and bring to market the idea of providing um, carefully thought out and planned services and and Roll that out for us and help us understand how that would look if somebody in this audience is uh, struggling with some of those things still that we just articulated. Um, how do you set that path straight? What do you do to help offset those shared expenses or costs or losses to your to your team? 
Yeah, so we, you know, we over over the time, just like everybody else, I mean, we've evolved this program over time, and we we feel that we've we brought to, um, you know, we've added components to the program that we think are are valuable not only just for the franchisors but also for the for the for their franchisees. Um, so, you know, it, the program doesn't look the same today as it did, uh, you know, back in 2003, 2004. But, you know, some of the, some of the components or some of the things that we try to bring to the table is as follows. One is, you know, we want to, we want to, we want to streamline the entire process, uh, not just for the franchisor, but also for the buyer and seller. Um, and I think we, you know, we, we can do that by, you know, re- learning, uh, on the front end. You know what the franchisor's protocols are for resales, and 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 uh, I stress this to every franchisor I talk to. I'm not looking to recreate or to create a resales program for you. Uh, what I'm trying to do is augment what you have. And, and so if you you know if you have a documented resales program, we're going to take that program, and we're going to incorporate it into how we do our normal business at Sunbelt. So when we get an opportunity to list one of your your sellers um, and we start finding buyers for them, we're going to be able to set the expectations for buyer seller alike on what the pro- protocols are going to be. You know what's what's discovery day look like? When when does training happen before or after? What's the transfer fee? We're gonna we're gonna learn all of these things up front in advance uh, for each one of the franchisors we work with. So it's going to make a streamlined uh, resale for buyer, seller, and franchisor. So the time element there is, is I think we really can save some time. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, on the on the flip side of that, if your franchisee goes out and just hires, you know, uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Main Street business broker in their local town, and they start talking to buyers, they don't know your protocols. They don't know what you're looking for in a new buyer. They don't know what the you know what the minimums are, the net worth capability or net net worth requirements are, et cetera. And you and or your seller are going to be training those people from day one, and you're going to be training them multiple times. So we try to streamline it by saying, you train us once at Sunbelt, we'll train our offices, and it'll go it'll go smoother for for all parties. The other thing that you know I'll mention to you is we really have focused, especially in the last five or six years, on the educational component of our program. Um, you know, most most, and this is not my number, but it's uh, you know you you, t- you look at the statistics and they'll say 80% of the small privately held businesses in this businesses in this country, uh, those owners do not have a succession plan. Uh, and for many people, they, they just haven't thought about it. I mean, they're so busy getting, you know, getting up, going to work, uh, running their daily grind. Uh, they haven't thought about what the end looks like because they know the end isn't going to be coming for five years or 10 years or 20 years down the road. Um, but when you're a franchisor and your success is contingent upon, you know, having uh, owners um, who, who are going to transition the business and you're going to want the new owners to come in and hit the ground running, it's in your best interest to be having, uh, you know, conversations, uh, educational programs with your franchisees today to say, hey, here's what the end should look like for you, and here's how you go about in, in, in making your business more sellable and for be able to sell for a higher price. So, uh, you know, a lot of the franchisors that are on our program today are really, you know, coming uh, coming to the to the forefront and saying, hey, listen, we want to get you involved from an educational standpoint. I'm I'm going to their to their national conventions. We're doing webinars. Uh, we're doing newsletter articles, and we're talking about the end. And it's like you said, Stan, 16 years ago, uh, that was unheard of. Uh, they they wanted to bury it in the sand because it had the negative connotation to it. Now today, most franchisors have realized. 
you know, every franchisee has a finite life cycle. Some are longer than others. But when that person decides to leave, it's in our best interest to, to help them uh, have a successful exit and more importantly, help us find the right buyer coming in because our surveys have shown that you know, when the right buyer comes in, it, it's a financial boon for the franchisor. So the educational piece um, has, been, has been a big component. The saving time has been a big component. And then last thing I'll mention is you know, Sunbelt, as we have grown and become you know, the largest business broker in the, in the country and in the world, we have uh, we have buyers. We have a deep, deep buyer pool, and so we're able to bring to the forefront not only buyers typically for uh, you know that particular resale that's going to be again the buyer is going to be uh, well healed. They're going to meet your minimum requirements that the franchisor has told us about. They're also going to understand what the resales protocol is, so there's not going to be a lot of shock and 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 hey, what's what's happening now. Um, but we also are able to find buyers that say, you know what, I, I love that resale, but maybe it's on the wrong part of town, but I really like that franchise. And we can do you know, some franchise referrals as well. So we're, we're kind of the dual agent there, um, and we can bring qualified buyers for new opportunities as well as for the resales things. And we do this you know, on the front end for the franchisor at no cost. Um, you know, it doesn't cost them anything to be in part of our program. It's a, it's a free program to them. Um, so, you know, those are, those have been the most successful things uh, that we've kind of gravitated toward as far as why our program works for franchisors over the last 16 years. You covered a lot of geography there and, um, and some of what you touched on just prompted thoughts in my mind, um, about the early stages, you know, a franchisor that is, I guess, a smart one would, would bring people in for a discovery day and have conversations even then about the exit strategy and the exit plan. You know, when people ask, why is this agreement a 10-year agreement or a 20-year agreement? It's not forever. So if it's not forever, then let's talk about what your options can look like at a later date. You may want to renew. You may want to go for another 10. Or you may want to have a member of your family or your child is going to be in business with you. It's going to be a, a legacy play. But for those who are in the moment, and they're looking at a 10-year agreement. To me, I would view it similar to someone who's shopping for a house. You don't want to go shop for a house, um, you know, and expect to move into it a week later. It, you need to put a foundation of time in place. It's, it's a long transaction. And if you're buying an agreement from a franchisor for 10 or 15 or 20 years, um, you don't want to start looking for a buyer when it's time to find the buyer or to have the buyer. You want to have that plan in mind. And it's ironic that in the IFA Smart Brief today, I caught a link to an article that's talking exactly about what you and I are discussing today from the business brokerage perspective, but it was written by a gentleman from a company called the Rawls Group, R-A-W-L-S-G-R-O-U-P.com. Rawls Group was, um, these are succession planners. These are people who whose business it is to help franchisors or franchisees have these thoughts from succession planning, from financial planning perspective, more so from the actual transactional base. But the timing was unique having you on today and having this article appearing in the IFA Smart Brief at the same time. And I'm going to link this up on the Franchise Today Facebook page after the interview so that the audience can find this link to further validate the things that we're talking about here today, Terry. Well, and, and I and I don't think it's a coincidence that you you know you're you're having me on today, and the Rawls Group article appears because 
at the at the end of the day, all of this is, is I think predicated on the fact that there's a there's a push coming. Um, right. You know, the, the there's a baby boomer push, and maybe I'm jumping ahead. I, I know you want to talk about this eventually, but um, you know, there's a baby boomer push. Um, you know, the the 78 million boomers in this country own a lot. Um, you know, we're talking you know over a million, maybe two million small privately held businesses in this country, and. Uh, the wave has already started. They're they're exiting, um, and so it, it's just going to become more and more rampant. I think over the next you know three, five, ten years, uh, we're going to see unprecedented number of businesses for sale in the open marketplace. And um, you know, uh, so I, I think that there's been a lot more activity, a lot more chatter about this uh, recently, and I think it's just going to continue. And as you said, uh, you know, just today you got. You got me talking, and you got the Rawls Group right, so it's uh, it's definitely on, on on a lot of people's minds. Let's unpack that a little bit further right after we take a break, and then we'll come back and talk more about that and some of the statistics that I've been seeing that are trending in the exact direction that you're describing. We'll be right back after this important word from our sponsors. Franchise today. We'll be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Franchise Today is produced and presented each week by FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM enables real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all communications to and from prospects and existing franchisees, including texts. Legal and compliance is simplified too, with FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored using FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in both candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts are required. Multiple upgrades are given each year at no additional cost. No excuses, just solutions. On the web at frmsolutions.com. So back to the point we were kind of touching on at the break. I've seen statistics over the past many years. In fact, there were two articles written that you were part of. I think both of these articles that I found, one from 2015 in Franchise Times and an update to that in 2018. In both cases, in 2015, the conversation was already ensuing about how the economy coming out of the recession um, was becoming very fertile for franchise resales. And then I saw statistics in the article, the update last year, that talked about Fran data measuring that across all active brands in franchising, resales rose from 3.5% in 2013 to 4.1% in 2016. And then I've read from companies like the Dwyer Group or now Neighborly, seeing 25 to 3% in resales each year for a variety of reasons. And that this company, as, as they've done in so many other aspects of their business, has been a pioneer in establishing an internal resale department to help franchisees sell their businesses. But when you look at the economy today and you look at uh, the world we're living in today, virtually zero unemployment, how does all of that impact your end of the business? And I know that a lot of franchisors are feeling the pinch 
because the job market is so strong. Instead of asking somebody to write a check to buy something, they're having checks written to them as signing bonuses to take employment instead of business ownership. What's that look like in your world, Terry? Uh, we're seeing we're seeing that as well. It, it, you know, the uh, I look at the Minnesota unemployment. I think it's at uh, right at three percent right now, which is you know I've never been this low in my lifetime. That I've you know, I've been here for for many many decades. So it, it's it, it's an interesting time. Um, you know, from that perspective, and we we do have a lot of people who I think would be great. Uh, business buyers um, who have decided to, to remain in corporate America or go back to corporate America because the the, the job market uh, dictates that there are opportunities for them uh, to, to do so. Um, that being said, you know we're still coming off. 2018 was still a record year for the number of transactions that got done. And so when you when you when you try to balance those two statements, well, people are going back to work in corporate America, and yet there was a record number of transactions getting done. That tells you that there is still very much an appetite for small business in this country, uh, for for entrepreneurship in this country, and of course, franchising has always been the driving force behind behind most of that, or if not uh, a majority of that. Um, so we're still we're still able to see a lot of deals uh, get done. Um, part of it's being fueled by the fact that there's uh, there's a lot of businesses for sale. Um, uh, you know, again, as the baby boomers start exiting, and just, and then just the normal churn of people who you know are, are selling their business for the right reasons. They they bought it five years ago with the intent of growing it and selling it. Uh, maybe they're selling it for human reasons like uh, sickness, divorce, uh, you know, the partnership dissolution, those type of things. Um, so there, there's just a, there's just a uh, there's a there's a good there's a good mix right now a good balance still even with un, uh, unemployment being as low as it is there's still a very good balance between the number of businesses that is for sale and the number of you know, willing and, and, and enabled buyers and the buyers by the way Stan if you if you look at you know what the economy means from the buy side of things you know what fuels a buyer's ability or, or motivation to buy a business well number one is they do look at the general economy we all know where that's been you know the last three or four years it's been you know on an, on an unbelievable track we've seen all-time highs in the in the Dow um, so there's a lot of confidence number two is their ability to lend well you look at you know 2017 was the was the single biggest SBA lending year ever 2018 felt just short of it but it was still you know was the second biggest year uh, record year um, so, you know, buyers have their, their, you know, their portfolios, their 401ks, they're at very high levels right now. Their house values have all come back from the recession. So they're at very high levels. So their ability to get a loan, uh, is, is, and, and money is still relatively cheap. I know the interest rates have ratcheted up, uh, you know, the last couple of years, but it's still relatively cheap. So you've got a lot of positive factors out there. There's lots of good businesses on the market. Banks are willing and are, and are and willing and able to lend. Buyers have confidence. It, it still has led to a very very good market, and 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 that's manifested itself in in record years in 2016, 2017, and 2018 in small business resales. So I'm a franchisor and listening to this today, and I'm still a little bit nervous about uh, my budget for the year is X based on this many territories that I'm going to license, and here come resales to be. Um, thought about as well. Put my mind at ease. Tell the franchisors in this audience what it is that they should be thinking and how to adjust that shift in their thinking to take full advantage of a program like yours. 
Well, I think you know. I think the big thing that that you know we, we, that should be considered when you're you're looking at um, you know uh, looking at you know juggling between new and resales is you know what other resources can we bring to the table to help kind of diversify that that risk and and as I mentioned to you guys or to to the call. Um, you know, just uh, just a few minutes back was, you know, what we have, our biggest resource as a business brokerage is our buyer pool. Um, so, you know, if you if you have a resale in an area and you've only got, you know, one lead uh, for that area um, that came in on the new side of things, you know, do you really want to give up that one lead to help sell that resale? Um, it, it's something that, you you know, that most franchisors are going to have to struggle with, especially with the, the lead flow being down. And I, and I know on the development side of things, you know, franchisors, uh, you know, I, I talked to many of them and, uh, you know, the lead flow has been down uh, the last uh, year or so. Um, so, uh, you know, we bring we bring an opportunity, I think, to you know help diversify that, to help expand the the the, the lead pool uh, for both new end and resales. Um, and and the nice thing about us is, you know, we're an option. Uh, you know, this is there's nothing mandatory about our program. Um, you know, if you get on the program, you can use us when you feel you need to. The franchisees don't have to necessarily use us, but hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll see the benefit of doing so. But I think being able to just, you know, to, to bring more resources to the table and hopefully more buyers to the table are gonna, gonna, are, is going to result in the franchise, uh, franchisor seeing more deals get done, both on the resale side of things as well as on the new side of things. So if I put my franchisor hat back on again, and I haven't worn that hat in, I don't know, <laughs> eight or ten years now, it's been that long. But if I put my hat back on again, I think that a couple of things that would pique my interest would be a that buyer pool so what that tells me is if i've got a resale i need it off the market as quickly as i can get it done i don't need that hanging out there i want first of all i have a a franchisee that doesn't want to be here anymore or that i don't want here anymore um the sooner i can fix that the better and i have to believe too that from a validation perspective it's got to be better too to have happy campers out there, not people saying, I want to sell my store. Why don't you buy mine? Um, so those are two things that from a franchise or point of view, I think would make a lot of sense to me. Go back to the economics again. I think you said something about no cost or low cost or talk about what, what the costs to a franchise or would be to have your program. On the, on the resale side of things, there is absolutely no cost, and there's never a cost to the franchisor. Um, you know, we 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 form these relationships and these partnerships uh, strictly based on you know the fact that it's going to be a a referral and recommendation basis. Um, you know, when we when the franchisor introduces us to one of their selling franchisees, uh, you know, our local Sunbelt office will go out, will explain our value proposition to that seller. If that seller sees the value proposition and and likes it, uh, they're going to sign a local listing agreement. Um, if the you know when the business sells, that uh, that French the selling franchisee will will pay the Sunbelt broker fee. There's never a cost to the franchisor uh, on the on the resales program. So. We again, we're positioned as as a resource. Uh, we're here to augment what the franchisor has already done. Um, and and look, I've, I've got franchisors 
uh, in our program who have their own resales programs. But they, they've added us as, as another arrow in the quiver, um, just in case they, they can't find that, you know, that buyer in that one town for that one franchisee. Uh, or, or if they just want to have the, uh, the ability to say, we want more buyers coming in the door. Because, Stan, you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, when going back to your comment about, you know, uh, franchisors looking at the guy who, or a gal who's selling their business and saying, you know what, it's in my best interest to, to get them out as quickly as possible. Um, you know, when, when you have an owner, that demonstrates an interest in selling, uh, pretty much their motivation to, you know, follow the strategic initiatives of the brand to maximize the, the, their profits and therefore the, the franchise or royalties, uh, that's usually going to take a back seat shortly or it's already taken a back seat. So it, it's, it's imperative from a franchisor perspective that, you know, when somebody raises their hand, I think it's, I think it's, it needs to be moved along quickly. Um, and, you know, we've done, we've done studies with, with some of our franchisor partners, and we've found that, you know, when a new motivated owner takes over, uh, you know, uh, a unit um, and follows the brand's strategic initiatives and is well capitalized and really goes after the business, you know, the, the results are staggering. It's, it's it, the increases that we're seeing on first-year owners versus the last year of the old franchisee in the business is, you know, double-digit increases in, in sales, and therefore it's, it's a nice increase in revenues for the, for the franchisor. What do you see in terms of who participates from the franchisor side in the transactions? So our are franchisors using the same teams of development people and having to compensate them on some kind of a lesser commission basis or are executives managing this uh, outside of the hands of the typical Fran dev team? How do you see that working? Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it runs uh, all over the board. I think you hit the nail on the head on, on, on a couple more of the common scenarios. Uh, you know, there are a couple programs or a couple franchisors out that are really progressive. You mentioned Neighborly for one. You know, they do a they do a great job with their you know an internal program and have a lot of people dedicated to it. Uh, in many cases, um, on the you know it, it, the franchisor is is kind of just moved the the resales into the realm of the franchise development. Um, I, I do think they've uh, kind of, uh, in, mo- in most cases, got rid of the inequity of uh, the compensation thing because they understand the, the benefit of the resale and the opportunity the resale um, uh, presents. So uh, I think they're, they're you know, paying more uh, equitable versus the, the new. But now it just becomes a question of the biggest inventory that, that people have, and that's time, right? I mean, how much time and day do you have to focus on new, and how much time do you have to focus on, on the resales? And you know the resales are important, obviously, because you know you again there's an opportunity to to get a new person in there, re-energize, grow the grow the brand, grow the royalties. But franchisor businesses are also in business to grow, you know, from a from a from a unit standpoint, and so you don't want to take your foot off the gas from a from a new sales perspective. So it just becomes a a question of resources, and and that's why again we've 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 created the program so. We will augment what you're doing on both new sales and resale side. We're we're just another arrow in the quiver, as I said earlier. Um, and you can you can use us as you as you see fit and as your franchisees need need us to do so. How do you see financing playing into these deals? Do these get done the same way? And you mentioned earlier the 401k and the SBA um, are financing vehicles for existing locations uh, on the same set of circumstances or criteria established for the purchase of a new unit or is it more favorable because there is a P&L and that this is an existing business that we can look at history on how does that look 
it, it can be more favorable, but it also can be worked as a detriment with the P&L because if the P&L is not, you know, if it's Good. not great, uh, you know, if there's uh, if there's issues with the P&L or let's say that let's say the unit doesn't have good financial, uh, you know, and, and this day and age, it's, it's kind of weird to say that because, you know, most franchisors are so automated with their CRM systems and stuff like that. But uh, there are franchises out there that, uh, you know, simply don't have the, the, the franchisees uh, or the franchisees aren't following their control systems. And, uh, you know, so from a P&L standpoint, you know, banks, the, the, the resale is going to be evaluated based on the strength of the, of the unit. Um, it's not going to be overall, you know, looked at by, by the strength of the franchisor. The strength of the franchisor comes into play as far as, you know, if it's a really good franchisor with a really strong history, you know, then as long as the unit P&Ls are, are decent, it's going to get ratified by any bank. Um, but if the, if the, you know, if the unit P&Ls aren't great, it's a difficult, it's a difficult to find financing. So then you're looking at the buyer using the 401k programs and 401ks work for both new sales and resales, or you're looking at seller financing. Um, and I'll tell you that, you know, seller financing is, is, uh, it can be a very big part of the deal uh, many times, and we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen sellers, uh, you know, make a lot more money um, uh, when they sell or finance their business because you know they're collecting that interest and they're saving money on taxes and uh, you know those type of things uh, when they're when they're willing to carry some paperback. But you know, one of the things that uh, you know we pride ourselves on is is the ability to create a deal, right? If it, you know, if we got a willing buyer and a willing seller, let's figure out the you know the best way that's going to make this thing work and get it get a deal done. Um, and I think that's you know one of the things that you know again we bring to the table because this is what we do on a daily basis. So, uh, but the SBA, as I mentioned, has been has been really strong uh, the last couple of years. Um, we've seen some record years of lending. Uh, and I think as long as the, you know, as the economy keeps chugging along, um, you know, uh, that'll continue. Uh, if we go back, they'll stand 10 years, uh, go back to 2009, when after the recession hit in 2008, it was very difficult to get a loan uh, for a resale, uh, even for businesses that had really good financials. Banks were just nervous. The SBA was, was, wasn't doing a lot of lending. So that is a, a very cyclical thing, I think. We've seen that before. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cross our fingers and just hope the economy just keeps moving forward. And we don't have to worry about a correction or a recession that's going to cause, uh, uh, you know, uh, a movement downward in the in the amount of loans being done. But if that happens again, we'll do what we did last time, and that is we focus on on, on buyer financing and seller financing. What about assignment fees? Do they typically get paid by the seller or the buyer, or does that get negotiated into the deal? How do you, yeah. how do you work with those? Yeah, great question. So, you know, every, every most most every franchisor has a, you know, a transfer fee or assignment fee in their in their contract in their franchise agreement and and of course, you know, that's with the agreements with the seller. So, ultimately, it is the seller's responsibility, but you know, we try to incorporate that into, you know, our pricing and, uh, and you know, the market price that we're going out the business, we're we're going to usually try to get the the buyer to to pay all or a portion of that. It's negotiable. Uh, we found over the years, Stan, that uh, the franchisor doesn't really care much who pays for it as long as it gets paid, as long as they right. get the transfer fee and uh, those funds get covered. So it's uh, it's definitely a, a point of, of negotiation and uh, that we try to get uh, the buyer to participate. And with you involved in the transaction and having a program with the franchisor and better understanding the brand's value and the brand's proposition, I have to think that you become almost a hybrid between what a, a franchise consultant or broker does bringing candidates to their brands that they represent. Um, a little bit of that comes to mind here too, because you are vetting these 
these prospects. You're bringing buyers that you know are a better fit perhaps for this brand than another. What happens when you get somebody who's doing a hybrid deal? Maybe the the franchisor is is going to package something up where the person who's going to buy the resale is also going to buy a couple of new stores or one new store too. How does that all blend together? How does that work? Yeah, and this 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 is a great question, and I'll just give you an example that just kind of recently happened. So we we had a uh, one of our franchisors had given us a. Uh, a seller um, on the East Coast that wanted to sell their business, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a high performing business, um, and it was going to be very difficult to get a to get a loan for the business, and really, it was going to be very difficult to attract a buyer, uh, you know, just to that to that resale um, because of the of the financials and the shape of that individual unit. Um, and I and I had a conversation with the franchisor um, after I talked to the local broker, and you know, they they had the same concerns I did, so I called the franchisor back and said, Hey, listen, I think we need to get creative here. And again, this I think just plays into the power of, of when you know when a franchisor is working with us. We package that resale along with two new corporate uh, territories that were available. Um, and now all of a sudden we we have a, you know we have something to go to market to say hey you can get a larger area, uh, you can you know you can hopefully get the you know better better uh, opportunities with bank financing because we got the corporate store the corporate territories the new territories involved. Um, and it just made it a lot easier to attract a buyer to to that particular franchise because of that. So, when we're working with a franchisor, um, you know, on the, on these initiatives, I just think the creativity gets a lot higher, um, and we're able to 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 work out solutions that you know normally wouldn't be there if a franchisor was trying to do it on their own or just working with a, you know a single business broker in you know in a, in a, in a small town. So, um, having a national partner like us, I think it it it, it leads to more creativity and to getting more deals done. Everything I read focuses heavily on what a store owner or a business owner or a franchisee needs to do to prepare for this kind of a scenario. Um, Not too much out there that I read, Terry, about the conversation that we're having today. So in the little bit of time we have left before we wrap, why don't you sum up, if you would, the steps and the order that they should come in for a franchisor to prepare themselves for a conversation with you or someone in your shoes. I don't think there are any others that do quite what you do the way you do it, but lay it out for the franchisors listening and tell them what to do and when to do it and how in preparation for a deeper conversation with you. Well, Stan, and I really appreciate that opportunity. Thank you very much for for teeing that up. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it starts with a conversation. Um, you know, uh, any franchisor listening that just wants to, you know, to have a conversation and tell us a little bit about what they're doing on the resale side of things or the new sales side of things, uh, what they're looking for. Um, you know, uh, again, our, our, we we try to adapt our programs to your 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 objectives, your goals, your needs. Um, and you know, with with over 150 different uh, franchises now that we're working with uh, between the two programs, I can tell you it's it's uh, you know we're, we we customize it to make it work for the franchisor. Uh, if it doesn't work for you or it doesn't work for me, it, it doesn't work. So, you know, we, 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 we customize it to, so it's, it's a good fit for both. So it starts with a, just a conversation, um, you know, giving me a call, drop me an email, 
um, you know, talking a little bit about what your objectives are, what your, what your pain points are, and then see if uh, Sunbelt could be a good fit for that. And, uh, you know, if, if it's something that uh, after that point in time that the, the franchisor says, yeah, this is, this is something I want to pursue, uh, you know, then uh, we'll, we'll take the next step. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of paperwork to do this. Um, you know, we, we've made this, we made joining our program very, very simple, uh, very, very easy. Uh, because, again, there's no, there's no money being changed hands between us and the franchisor. Um, so it's a very low risk proposition to to join our program and to have us as a, as a resource, uh, and then from that point in time, I mean, we'll we'll suggest things that you know on how we can get involved and how we can help. Um, but it, it really comes up to the franchisor states. I mean, I mentioned that I have you know a lot of franchisors that have me come to national conventions or do webinars uh, and do newsletter articles about you know I, uh, articles regarding you know succession planning, exit strategies, maximizing the value at exit, stuff like that. I will also tell you that I have some franchisors that you know that don't take advantage of that to the to, the, to that extent, uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll walk or crawl at whatever speed the franchisor wants. Um, obviously, I'll make suggestions along the way. Um, that you know, but at the end of the day, the franchisor has control uh, on how this relationship gets rolled out. And I, I just think that uh, you know, given given that fact, it's again, it's a it's a very low risk proposition for franchisors to consider. Well, you said it all starts with a phone call or an email. Terry, why don't you share both those data points with the audience so they know how to find you? Be glad to. So again, Terry Kelm with Sunbelt Franchise Resales, uh, and you can reach me uh, toll-free at 888-484-0332, or uh, you can reach me via email, and that email is uh, first initial, last name, so T-K-E-L-M at sunbeltnetwork.com Can't help but wonder if that uh, toll-free number might be the next dinosaur that goes away displaced <laughs> by you, 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 you never know. long-distance calling, right? <laughs> you never know, but you're, you know, uh, you know, who would have who thought 20 years ago that we wouldn't be renting VHS tips and we wouldn't be using phone booths, right? <laughs> you got me twice. Terry, it's been a real pleasure. For uh, Thank you so much for coming and for sharing and for Uh, shedding light on what should be a no-brainer for most, but again, is usually neglected or kind of put aside. I hope that the transparency that you've brought to the conversation today will help some franchisors benefit from what you've shared with us. Thanks so much for being here. Stan, and, and thank you, and thank you uh, again for everything you do uh, for the franchise community. Your, I mean, your your interaction with uh, you know with IFA and all the different things, and doing this this uh, weekly broadcast, uh, it just uh, it speaks volume about you as a person and about your commitment to the industry. So my hats off to you, bud. Well, I'm just paying back for those who paid for it, and thank you for bringing it to the light of day. Appreciate that too, Terry. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Next week, I'm going to be joined by another pro athlete who traded in a playbook for an ops manual, but this time it's an ops manual that he actually wrote. I'm talking about retired Major League Baseball player and Burn Bootcamp co-founder and CEO Devin Klein, who next week will define for us success as he sees it, which is by the amount of people that he can help to mentally, physically, and emotionally overcome their odds. Most of Devin's childhood was riddled with violence, drug abuse, and alcoholism by his parents. His father frequently in and out of jail, Devin became a man at a very early age. Today, he brings his hope and determination to his franchisees of more than 200 burn boot camp locations in 37 states, offering strength for the body and passion for the soul. It's all next week on Franchise Today. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best 
the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.